We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Highland Bullpen. Alan here just introducing the show whilst our erstwhile technological genius Richard is away getting his microphone and computer sorted out. Uh, he probably needs to get back to 1980s models much as I've got sitting here in my house instead of trying all that newfangled stuff. So we'll, we'll chat through the season and what have you and we'll um, see how things go. Uh, just before you crack on further, Alan, are you and Dave going to be okay tonight? It's just that I know that Boston and the Tigers are in the middle of a, a hot and heavy series uh, over there. So is there an update from you guys? Are you going to be fisticuffs or uh, are we best of friends? Yeah, um, <laughs> I could quite contentedly say I, I know the Tigers' place in this season's uh, uh, Major League Baseball standings, so... <laughs> I, I, I think I have to accept where things go, and given the last bullpen clash, which took place after our last podcast was against the White Sox, was a, a sweep. Um, I don't think you need to guess who the sweep was for, but I think that was 27 runs to six for the, the good old Chicago, and almost half those runs were scored without reply in the last game at Comerica Park for the White Sox. So getting me 13-0 at home can't have been a pleasant experience for the, the hometown fans. And yeah, the Tigers are somewhat struggling just now. Uh, when you look <clears throat> when you look through the season, I find it quite interesting how it's we we're not in great position. We've had like what 26 wins, 41 defeats. But when you actually look at it, um those wins tend to come in the same series. So we beat uh, Pittsburgh 2-0, the, the Twins 4-1. Um, so uh, Baltimore, we swept 3-0. So it almost seems to be we either sweep or get swept or get stuffed might be uh, another way of putting it in the, the Scottish vernacular. So I know the Red Sox aren't quite firing in all cylinders, but they're above 500. They won the first game last night. 5-2. Uh, I hope any Tigers fans who get over to Fenway Park enjoy the experience uh, and, and see how things things go. In terms of bullpen rivalry, actually, I updated the the, the bullpen league calculator today and had a, a quick look at that. And uh, if I thought the Tigers being on something like 380, 390 as their percentage, I wish I hadn't gone as far as checking out how we do against uh, you guys lot. I think I found that we've won two games uh, in our 10 games we've already played against the bullpen. So uh, that gives us uh, a score of 200. Remarkably, the Mariners, who the Tigers have not yet played, are also on 200 in, in that particular 
league. Um, now the White Sox, and this is maybe slightly worrying for the White Sox, who seem to be chasing a wee bit to get up to the playoffs, but they're, they're 11 wins out of 15 uh, against us, um, having uh, successfully 4-2 uh, to two against the Red Sox, 5-1 to one against the Tigers. Uh, so, yeah, and the Red Sox are 11 out of 17, so both won 11 games. Um, so there's a bit of a gulf, I think it's fair to say, developing between the, the bullpen. And I think bottom line is Richard and myself will always be quite happy to spend time with you guys and enjoy your company and perhaps cheer you on as you move into in, into the <clears throat> further pastures in the season. But yeah, no, um, Tigers are struggling. We, we introduced the young guy, Riley Green, last week. Uh, got a little bit of momentum, got a couple of wins there. Scoring 14 runs against the Rangers um, in one game, then seven the night after. So, yeah, things turned around quite well there. Quite so slightly bizarre. I mean, it's the, the bizarre nature of Major League Baseball when you get different pitchers come in, you get momentum shifts, you get beat 7-0 one night, and then you, you win 14-7 the next the next day, uh, um, unfortunately, I was at Comerica Park, so we went to one on the away goals rule. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I've said this before, but disappointing. I thought the Tigers last season looked like they were developing something and coming back, but they're under four hundred. I've not done my history check to see when we've been under four hundred in previous seasons, but it is a. Uh, it, it is a little bit concerning how they've how they've got there that this famed Tigers rebuild uh, does not seem to be happening uh, the the way that we may have hoped or or wished for. So, Dave, Dave Senior, Yorkshire Dave, the the Red Sox. Are you how are you feeling about their their form these days? I'm really I'm really happy actually. Um, Boston um, currently. Six games over 500, which is the first time they've been six over 500 this um, this season. So it's 37, a record of 37 wins, 31 losses. Um, they've moved to third in the yep. AL East, and they're in uh, the wild card spot. And um, yeah, just to put it in perspective, there's only just having a look. Um, there's only seven teams in the American League that have a winning record and four of them are in the AL East. Um, <laughs> the Yankees, <laughs> incredible, aren't they? They've, they've, had, they've got 50 wins. Um, and um, I heard somebody saying that they only need to, uh, for the rest of the, the season, for 95 games to go, they only need to be just over 500 for the next 95 games and they'll, they'll have 100 wins. So... Um, yeah, they look like the team to beat, and the Dodgers um, in the in the National League. Um, yeah, Boston have been pretty good in the the, the last um, few series, but things are going to get tougher for them um, after the after the Tigers um, next two games. They go on the road to Cleveland and Toronto, which is uh, both teams are over five hundred. But in July, and they run up to the the All Star break. They're going to be um, up against Tampa Bay, three games. Then the Yankees at Fenway for four games. Then they're at Tampa for four games, and at the Yankees in the Bronx 
for three. So we'll know a lot more. Um, you know, and after that, it's the all-star break. So we'll know a lot more um, after those uh, those series. Um, but they are doing pretty well, and they're doing well without um, some serious um, injury problems that they've had, especially in the rotation. Um, so they've had to call up a couple of guys from the minors. The guy who was pitching last night, Josh Winkowski, who uh, pitched a, an extremely good game. He's 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 looking good. He's he's had three starts this this year, and he's um, his record is two and one. So um, so yeah, there's definitely some positives. Uh, Kiki Hernandez, who's the the leadoff guy, he's been injured, but they brought up. Jaron Duran, who, um, who who played a, a little bit last season, but he's looking extremely good. Like last mm-hmm. night, he's really quick, and he got on base a couple of times in the early innings last night, and um, scored runs by the time. I think he's that quick that the uh, Nesson um, commentator Dave O'Brien said he's coming in to score. In fact, he's already in the dugout. <laughs> Uh, so you know he adds a different dimension. Trevor Story is a good, a good base runner as well. So they're doing some different things, and um, they may have finally not exactly stumbled across a closer, but um, uh, Tanner Hauk is the guy who's getting the saves. And what was really hurting them in the early part of the season was the blown saves. They were getting into good winning positions, and they 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 topped the league in fourteen blown saves in this season. I think they had two in one game. I didn't even know that was possible. So you get to a save situation in the seventh and eighth innings, blow that. And then they must have got a lead back in the eighth and ninth. Somebody came in to save it in the ninth and blew that. So it makes it makes a big difference. It's well above five or six blown saves above the league average. So, um, you know, if they'd have had a pretty serious seriously good closer you know they might be significantly higher but i'll, I'll take what's um what uh, the position that we're in now and the way we're playing so uh yeah i'm looking forward to uh Next tonight's game i might even stay up and watch it i fell asleep last night because i've been out actually the, the heading for the leeds rhinos event two beers and you know midnight plus start i think i saw the first <laughs> inning and then next thing you know it's <laughs> It says. So, what were the rhinos doing at, at Headingley last night? It was, um, yeah, they've uh, so last they haven't played for a while um, because there was a international game at the weekend. So they've got a new coach, and uh, they're always doing some pretty good stuff for their members, their season ticket holders, which uh, which we are Lorraine and I. So um, we were invited to um, to an event where you could ask questions of the chief executive officer, Gary Hetherington, and their new coach, Rowan Smith. And it took place in the new stand, which overlooks the hospitality suite. I think it's the Howard suite, overlooks the, you know, the fantastic heading the rugby ground. And on the other side, it overlooks the, uh, the heading the test ground, where the third test against New Zealand will take place on Thursday and um, it's, a, it's a unique facility in the world really and uh, um, it's fantastic. So look out for that on Thursday. I think BBC have highlights of the test, don't they? So um, yeah, 
Yeah, and that, there's some good, we- certainly good weather forecast for Thursday. So it was a really good event, but I went and uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'll try and uh, tune in tonight. There's a you not been too many UK friendly first pitch times recently. There was one on Sunday for the Red Sox, but that's been about it for a while. Yeah, I think that tends to be a, a lot of 12, 12, 10 starts, aren't they? Mm. And um, the, the, the Tigers are heading on the the road to Arizona after this and then San Francisco. So Yeah, it's even worse for the West Coast um, uh, road trips, isn't it? Yeah, um, as, a, as a man who can fall asleep in the, the middle of the afternoon and get sunburnt in 16 degree centigrade temperature in Scotland, um, <laughs> I, I don't have much chance for these uh, these game times. But I will keep I'll, I will keep working on it, and um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wear suitably bright t-shirts so people don't realise that I'm sunburnt as well. But yeah, yeah <laughs> and well, maybe the, the rhinos as well. I think we'll maybe talk about that later in the season. We're Hopefully, heading there for the the much the, the delayed rugby league World Cup later this season, as well as we we get back together and enjoy some sort of sporting events as well. But baseball fans might enjoy tuning in to the Test match uh, cricket. I was speaking to the American family recently, and they were asking me to explain a bit about cricket. And they asked me interestingly one of the things they said was, "What what's uh, how many runs do they score?" In the game, and when I sort of discussed that, um, <laughs> it was uh, they were quite um, they, they were quite shocked. But it's it whilst it's a similar game of a bat and bowl and pitching and bowling, it's it is quite different in many ways. But you baseball fans, I think, would enjoy it, especially watching Test cricket. Although it's a few days long, the games it's uh, that's your elite players playing there as well. So don't don't be afraid to. Tune in and try and pick up a wee bit of the the red ball game there. And and the White Sox, Dave, they managed to scrape through a series against the Tigers recently as well, and uh, it seemed to be uh, still middle of the road, really, aren't they? They're gonna are they gonna pull it back, get up to five hundred, and and compete a wee bit here. I think you will. Uh, I think there's there's really good grounds recently for a lot of improvement with the White Sox. Uh, we we seem to have been having a little bit of a rivalry. It may have been one way with uh, the Houston Astros in the last few years. They've knocked us out of the playoffs last year. They gave us a bit of a, a doing over uh, down in Texas uh, during you know, standard league games last year. And they, they became a bit of a barometer for the White Sox um, in terms of humbling us and just showing us that there's different levels. Um, and we went to Houston this week, actually, just with a little bit of trepidation, um, which which lived out in game one. You know, things were going quite quite close, three each. Uh, and then in one devastating inning late on, we lost 10 runs in, in the one half one inning, inning. Um, which is, you guys know yourselves, people listening know, just you cannot afford to do that against any team, let alone the Astros. Um, but again, as baseball is, we came back the next night and shut them out in their own ground, 7-0, uh, and then played a, a really competitive 4-3 loss uh, the next night. So it, there was a lot of over particularly, you know, when you take one half inning out of it and you look at the three games, really close um, and competing with a team who are definitely one of the best in the world. 
Um, in terms of where that goes from now, again, you said you know, we came to Detroit, we, we won some more games. Uh, again, one of those strange situations when you're looking at you know pitchers dropping out the game and uh, position players starting to to pitch, which is always a little bit strange to see as someone new to the sport. Um, but again, it was good to pick up those wins. We have not, uh, the White Sox have not played many league games against the other four teams in our division. I think it's the least across MLB. Um, so it's quite interesting actually over uh, over the next couple of weeks before you know, Dave mentioned the All-Star break, which is something we can, we can talk about in coming weeks. Uh, we've actually got quite a lot of those important games to come. You know, the Twins and the Guardians are sitting just above us. Actually, the Guardians are in second place, but I think that they are, they're they better than the Twins. Uh, we've got four games against the Guardians, seven against the Twins, and another four against Detroit, and that's all before the, the All-Star break. So that might redress the balance where we haven't faced many other AL Central teams. Uh, and on top of that, we've also got, which might be deemed some slightly easier games, we've got seven coming up in the next week against the Orioles and the Angels who have started to falter uh, after starting the season really well. So I'm hoping that by the by the All-Star break, I, I do think the White Sox are in contention for the division just now, but I really think we've stamped that, uh, potentially even going top, if not, um, you know, again, competing in amongst three of, three of ourselves. But, you know, the Guardians are facing off against the Twins over the next couple of nights, which is always good. Both teams can't win. Uh, so somebody's going to drop some ground. Um, but it's no, it, it'll be really interesting. We've started to uh, deploy an interesting technique in keeping the same first four batters in the last week, uh, which is what the White Sox fans have been screaming out for for months. Um, and again, it seems to be the other 29 teams all do this, but Tony La Russa, the White Sox manager, really mixes things up. Um, and once we've got a settled top of the order, we've been really batting quite well. And I think during June, I think we're third or fourth across the MLB in terms of uh, run score. Um, although, um, you know, something I was talking to Dave about the other day, kind of run differential. Uh, I'm not sure. If, uh, can I, Dave, you, you picked up anything on that recently? Yeah, I didn't want to be negative. It was interesting to hear what you were saying about... Um, you know, the, the White Sox, um, because looking at, you know, they're obviously, they're only just one game under 500, aren't they? But I did notice that their, their run differential is minus 38. So one of the things that I've heard, I don't remember where I heard it, but I've heard people talking about looking at the run differential. And for instance, when Boston were, were quite, you know, had a pretty um, poor start to the season, one of the things that you kept noticing was that even though they were sort of way under 500, they had a positive or run differential, which suggested that they might not be quite as bad, um, you know, as their win-loss record would show. And I was just wondering, you know, okay, you're around about 500, but you're, you're, you're sort of minus 38, is conceding a lot of um, runs yeah, it's just <laughs> this theory of mine is in its very early stages of development. But I just thought, is there anything in that? I mean, I know what you're saying just now is that they're getting a more settled lineup, scoring more runs. 
what one of the things that surprised me, I think the White Sox have had quite a lot of blown saves as well this season, despite the fact that they've got one of the best closers in the business in our Aussie friend, the slider, um, uh, Mr. Hendricks. So what do you reckon to that, Dave? Is there anything in that? Yeah, our friend, uh, the Southside slider, as you, as you mentioned, Liam Hendricks, he's currently injured. Ah, which, that explains which it. may explain. Um, but again, up until then, his numbers were, were pretty solid. Yeah. Um, but quite often as well, I think, um, again, something as someone that's new to baseball and realising at what point different pitchers are, are brought in, quite often the games have been lost well before the ninth. And yeah. We're quite heavily behind by the... In those games you talk about, the run differential, we're perhaps four or five runs behind going into the seventh or eighth. And at that point, the manager must think, well, what's the point in tiring my, my star guy out? I save him yeah. for a meaningful occasion. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, they tend to just pimp out another another pitcher uh, in, in those maybe eighth and ninth innings to, yeah. to give them some experience. Or even use, I've seen them use positional players, haven't they, which, uh, you know, uh, not always too sure whether that's... Um, a good thing or not, but I think you just have to accept that sometimes, you know, if you're 10 down with two or three innings to go then yeah. and your bullpen needs a rest, then, like, like we probably do, <laughs> uh, then, um, yeah, then they, they don't want to tire out their their, their ace closer. Um, yeah, that's um, that's interesting. That's Just to pick up, it's something that Alan and I were talking about offline. Mm. Uh, that's maybe, saying offline is maybe the the king term for saying I was slagging him off. Uh, um, but during the, the, the game that he mentioned where the White Sox won 13-0, um, one, one of the position players came in, uh, Castro, uh, and it, it just so happened that he was actually, he had the best ERA for the game uh, <laughs> above all of his other pitchers that came before. You do see why managers want to go in that position. They look at the upcoming schedule and think, okay, I've got a double header tomorrow. The day after that, we fly across the country um, and we've got a game. We've got a game the night after that. You do want to preserve those arms. Um, so you can see why they do it. Although as fans, you can see why fans must perhaps just pack up and go when it gets to the sixth or seventh inning. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure how you feel, Alan. Again, you've got that experience recently of of being at the other end of that, of kind of suffering. Yeah, I probably don't want to highlight this too much, but if we're concerned about the the White Sox having a run differential of minus 38. What do you think the White Sox run differential is in their six games against the Tigers this year? Plus 21. We're going to get a guess from Yorkshire. Well, I, I'm not being keeping an eye on that, but um, yeah, six I mean... Games. Yeah, so I'm going to say 30. 32. 32. So, yeah, without if you didn't get to play the Tigers, your run <laughs> differential would be minus 70. Um, it, what, what I think I'm interested in is I see the logic in looking at that. It's almost like when you're looking at a football league table and after seven games, you have your... Your, your Liverpool and Man City's equal with Aston Villa, let's say. 
But Liverpool and Man City have been winning every game 3-0 and Villa have been scraping through. So you know what's going to happen there. Um, it, how similar is that then to baseball, given what Dave was talking about there, that you suddenly throw in different pictures, you sort of lose interest, not lose interest, but you probably... Mm. Run differential is not a factor in deciding the league, unlike uh, goal difference would be. Um, and it doesn't, because you play every day, it doesn't seem to affect you that you lose 7 0 one day and have yeah. to wait another week to make amends. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to look behind the numbers a little bit, don't you? Be, um, for instance, uh, you know, Boston, they did win a game 16. <laughs> Sorry. Remind me, they was I think it was against the White Sox, wasn't it? Something like sixteen two or sixteen three. But um, so that obviously skews the differential a bit. But they had lost the game early in the season by a similar margin, so tenders cancel each other out. So I, I think there's something in it, but um, wouldn't uh, you, you know, sort of uh, as I say. Take I'll take a bit more developing. I think that on the subject of saves, there was, it, it is quite interesting because there is um, there is a definition for save. So you don't come to a, a save opportunity until it's um, the lead is three runs or less. I think that's right, isn't it? So um, if you you know if your closer comes in um, and you're you know you're closing out the ninth inning. The last inning of the game, and your team is ahead for nothing. You won't get a save yep. if um, you know if you if you close out the game and you win the game for four nothing, four one, four two, or four three. So um, that you know there are they call them save opportunities, don't they? So that's when you're pretty much guaranteed that if you're Ace closer is healthy, reasonably rested. Um, he will he will come in because it's not every night you're going to be in that save situation. Um, in fact, we're listening to the, the again that Nesson guy in there, Dennis Eckersley Eck. You just have to listen to this guy. He's got a whole new language of his own. There's a guy on Twitter who's called the Actionary, and he he just sort of tweets phrases and words. But, uh, but he was one of the greatest closers uh, of all of all time, and he he was sort of joking, saying that you know he liked to see the game get uh, within three runs, so he'd get in with a a save opportunity, a little bit to to boost his uh, you know his own personal record. He was sort of joking, but play, players like that, don't they? So they call them high leverage innings, don't they? And there's some. Some um, guys thrive on that, and it looks like this uh, Tanner Houck for for the Red Sox is one of those guys. You know, you can see it in his eyes and his in his face that he means business, and they thrive on this uh, high pressure situation. They've. Um, it's just quite funny, just to to tie in with with what we've all been dis- discussing there, and bringing Alan's point back a wee bit. Um, so the White Sox and the Red Sox have faced each other six times this season already. The White Sox went to Boston and swept. Um, and then Boston won the series in Chicago 2-1. So think about that for a minute. So White Sox 4, Boston 2. What what was the run score? The aggregate runs over the six games? Yeah, 
68. I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, surprised if Red Sox scored more on because they, they scored 16 twice in that um, three-game series, didn't they? So, um, yeah, I, I would imagine that Red Sox were probably ahead. Substantially, almost twice as much. So really? 30, 38 to 22. Right. Uh, and that was you know coming out as losers across the game. So it's just, again, it's, it's something we speak about all the time. It's a game for statisticians. There's always <laughs> an angle in there to to talk about. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you look at last night's game, um, Alan, and uh, you know the final score was Detroit two, Boston five. But uh, Detroit actually out hit um, Boston, so yeah. they had ten hits to Boston's uh, nine. And um, you know, just as it it has been in recent games, um, those sorts. Scored a few in the you know they scored um, all their runs in the first five innings and just getting you know that Jaron Duran getting on base moving him up um, stealing bases uh, walks you know they they help they won't count as a hit obviously but it's a guy on base um, and um, sacrifice fly something like that I don't think you get a hit for that you get you might get an I think you get an RBI, don't you? But um, you you wouldn't you wouldn't get a hit. So um, yeah, it's uh, you know, that's partly why we love the game, isn't it? We're all a bit uh, number freaks, aren't we? Probably something to do with the the jobs we had, but have. But uh, um, I think it's. I mean, it, the not not so much maybe watching English football, but certainly watching Scottish football where. It's fairly predictable what happens uh, in in a league season. I think watch looking at the results and the stats in baseball is fantastic because Dave Junior was talking about the Astros there, and uh, and I know Richard's struggling to join us just now. But when you look at the Mariners, have had a couple of series with the Astros this season and have won them both. When you look at the Mariners. Um, uh, over the season they're struggling but yeah the Astros um, other than the Yankees are really the, the top team in the in, in the league so a poor team can go and actually do that and then the Mariners are just coming off a 4-1 pumping in the series from the, the Angels Angels so um, it's there's a lot that goes on that doesn't make an awful lot of sense and you can tune into a game just not knowing what's going to happen and obviously you can tune in and see your team win when you don't expect to so uh, yeah um, so no in- interesting it's great it's interesting yeah. stuff yeah Dave sorry I'll just uh, before we move on it's just one other point I'm sure the last time I checked only a couple of days ago but I think the Yankees had only dropped two series uh, all year right. one was to the White Sox who at the time, were really poor, um, and the other was to the Orioles, who I think yeah. are the weapon boys of yeah. you know, that division. And it's just absolutely wild that, that these types of things can happen. You can flick on the scores in the morning, particularly as a UK fan with those late uh, first pitches, and see you know the Orioles have, have took down the Yankees or yeah. the Tigers have, have went to Houston and won. Um, it's just it's a wonderful game. Always full of surprises. Yeah. And one of the big things 
we love, obviously, about baseball is when we're watching it. Don't see them often enough sometimes at home runs and the pleasure that brings you in both seeing your team score a home run, but it's also bringing pleasure to people in the, the audience and the, the crowd. Um, I know there's some stuff you wanted to chat about and ask us about in that as well, Dave. Yes, I'm not sure if you guys caught the story at all. Um, it was covered in quite a few different North American news outlets uh, about one of the Astros hitters. So he'd been called up uh, just recently. So this was only his sixth um, major league game. Uh, JJ Matievich. Um, oh, I have to say, though, you know, we're all aware of our own club's feeder systems. Uh, you know, I know Alan follows theirs, uh, Detroit's quite closely. I know that I'm aware of the White Sox ones, but one of the Houston Astros uh, feeder teams in the minor leagues is called the Sugarland Space Cowboys, which is <laughs> it's quite something. They deserve an award for that in itself. <laughs> uh, but JJ came up from... Uh, from the Sugarland Space Cowboys uh, over the last week. And it was his sixth game against the White Sox. And uh, it was now the Astros' 4 3 win uh, just two nights ago. Uh, a game featured on ESPN. Uh, so, again, that goes out nationwide uh, across America. Um, and JJ hit, had his first hit, and uh, re- reasonably rare, but his first hit was also his first home run. So again, it's quite special. Um, you know, hits can co- come in all shapes and sizes, but for it to come as a home run was quite special. Uh, and I, I was going to say a young sixteen-year-old, but I'm not sure if you get many old sixteen-year-olds. Um, uh, Most 16-year-old, of them tend to be the same sort of age. Yeah, yeah. So a sixteen-year-old uh, by the name of Rylan Freeman was sitting in the crowd and caught the ball. Uh, it's a little bit of a side story. He's a pitcher, actually, in his local high school. Um, so he does have a little bit of baseball heritage. So as you guys are aware, uh, and again, for those of you listening that aren't kind of too familiar with it, I think when when you have these special occasions in baseball, sorry, as Alan and Dave have mentioned today, uh, quite often, young fans, old fans, if they catch a foul ball or a home run ball, it's quite a memento, quite a souvenir to take home um, and keep as a just to remind you of a special occasion. However, it's quite commonplace for people that have maybe hit their first hit or a a significant number of home runs or um, these types of things to ask for the ball back from the crowd. And it's at that point where a little bit of negotiation takes place or the fan asks for maybe a a photo opportunity with their favourite player. Um, Again, just to make these things uh, a little bit more palatable for the fan losing uh, what's perhaps quite a yeah. it could potentially be uh, you know an expensive <laughs> or a valuable memento so this fan in particular the, the Houston the, you know, national TV covered it throughout the game they kept coming back inning after inning after inning and this kid he really should have been involved in negotiations for MLB during the whole uh, lockdown during December and January because he kept turning back offer after offer, offer after offer. Um, so initially he wanted uh, the Houston Astros kind of star pitcher, uh, Justin Verlander. Yep. And again, you can see the, the interest. If he's a pitcher at high school, that's his hero. Uh, he asked if he can get a signed jersey. Uh, and he was told no. So, really? um, yeah. So 
he said, well, I'm keeping the ball then. And they came back and said to him, right, what else can we get you? And he said, well, can I get a... a, a it's one of the, the Astros outfielders, I think, Guriel. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Can I have a signed jersey, yeah. jersey from him? No. And he said, well, I'll keep the ball. So they kept coming back. The TV coverage was covering this constantly throughout the night and it was being tweeted. You know, everybody was had their opinion nationwide, so you know, starting to watch this. Um, so it turned out that the Astros finally agreed a deal with them where he could get six tickets to games and six tickets to watch batting practices as well. Um, as well as a Jose Altuve signed ball. So they finally agreed to that and you know the fallout because it made sort of national coverage, Justin Verlander after the game said, Yeah, of course I'll sign a jersey for you. That's that's no problem at all. Um so it took a little bit of coverage, but what it's done is it's really split a lot of opinion amongst baseball fans to say, Well, was he within his rights to keep that ball? Um, or should he just have you know, bowed to whatever pressure the Astros wanted, uh, kind of placed on him, given that this the importance of this ball to Matievich, the the boy who hit his home run. But it's quite an interesting debate. Um, but it's quite you know fair play to the kid for sticking mm-hmm. it out and saying, "No, this is what I want. This is what. I, um, otherwise, I'm going home with the ball." So I'm not sure what you guys think about that. Um, yeah, if it been yourselves. I remember something uh, going back few years to when um, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were racing to go um, to beat the home run in a season record, you know, to get it over 60 odd or whatever it was. This this would have been um, late 90s, I think, 98, 97, 98, something like that. And they were speculating then whoever caught the the, the ball would have a fantastic negotiating power and they were speculating about what they might demand in uh, you know in, in a trade i don't think there's any doubt that the fan is almost obligated to return the ball to to the player if it's a special occasion but i'm pretty amazed that i mean he, he wasn't asking for the earth was he he's, he's his favourite player assigned jersey. Um, I'm very surprised that they've uh, said no. Perhaps they'll perhaps they'll learn from that. But uh, I was at year 2000 or 1999. I was um, at Cubs game, sat in the bleachers, and <laughs> pretty feisty fans in the bleachers. There, as it was packed out. I, can't remember. I think they were playing the White Sox actually. Do and uh, you know. When when a home run is hit, obviously into the into the crowd, they keep the home run. But traditionally, at um, Wrigley Field in the bleachers, if it's hit by an opposing team, you're supposed to throw it back on the park just to show your disdain. And then I said, "Oh, that's pretty cool." And then one one uh, woman said to me, "says Yes, as most of the fans, they bring a ball with them." And they keep the one that they've caught and further, <laughs> which I thought was uh, extremely amusing, uh, you know. But yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot to it. But I hadn't seen that story. But um, yeah, hopefully it was amicably. Um, <laughs> I think I'm in a similar boat to you, David. I'm 
a signed jersey seems a bit of a pittance for billion dollar organizations like the Astros when mm. to be refused if they, the, the club know there's a negotiation so there's obviously things they're not going to do you're not going to get a season ticket you're not going to go and um, have Justin Verlander take you out for dinner or whatever, you and your family out for dinner or whatever but I, I would have thought a signed jersey is fairly standard fare there's a little bit of me thinking of all the nonsense in football these days when kids have got the banners, the, the piece of cardboard saying so-and-so uh, kind of have your jersey uh, because I think that's that's now reached the point of no return or the point of stupidity uh, and you see kids running on the pitch to go and get jerseys as well uh, and I think that needs to be stamped out but I can't see a connection here, I think it's a very different type of situation. Um, I'm impressed, as you say, with yeah. the lad for for holding out. Um, it doesn't work like that in cricket um, because they play with the same with the same ball. Yeah. I think um, you know there have been times when the balls be, be you know for ninety overs, so there's six six balls in an over. Yes, yeah. so um, they stick with the same ball. But I think the you, you know that's uh, happening in cricket. Yeah, so you have to, even if you catch the ball, you have to have to return the ball, and there's uh, there's no two there's no two ways about it. And uh, um, actually, I was reminded when I was uh, at Headingley last night. You know, it's it's changed a little bit since um, I was a, a lad, shall we say? And uh, when I was at primary school, um, so uh, you know, I've been ten or eleven years old. I had a friend in our class whose um, house overlooked the back garden, overlooked the um, the cricket ground, and they at the wall they built a little standing area where they could watch watch the game. And um, you know, it was fantastic going around to his house uh, to see the cricket and um, just just hang out with him. And one day I was there, quite a big garden. And I noticed there was a, a cricket ball in the garden. I said, Dave, I said, look, there's a cricket ball there. He says, yeah. He says, uh, he says, oh, you can have it. I says, you're joking. Yeah, really? He says, oh, yeah. He says, come and have a look at this. And he took me into the, into the little garage. And they had a box full of them, you know. So this was from sort of batting practice or training. Yeah. To get yeah. it over and they wouldn't be. They were all sort of the old balls. But, yeah, so... Um, had that ball for years. I don't think it survived the move, but um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's good. Good. So you mentioned there maybe just a real last word before we wrap up. Uh, success for Yorkshire and, and the world of golf at the weekend as well as um, the, the UK's last two major champions now, both from Yorkshire as well. So what is it of that county of yours that keeps producing this sporting greatness, Dave? Oh well, you know, in fairness, it's um, it's a pretty big county, isn't it? You know, in terms of um, area and population. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to think there's a little bit extra in some of the, the sporting guys. Some of it, uh, they've got some very good qualities, um, Yorkshire guys, and uh, you know, it probably probably works in golf, doesn't it? Um, you know that sort of determination, and um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Looking back, I'm not, as you know, I'm not a knowledgeable golf fan like yourself, but thinking in terms of the, going back to the Ryder Cup, Howard Clark was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Cup player, I think it was from Leeds. Um, and they've got some pretty good courses um, in Leeds, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, um, but yeah, Sheffield must be really proud of their two. Uh, was it uh, Matt Fitzgerald and what's the other guy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, is it Willett? Uh, Danny Willett, yeah. Danny Willett, yeah. yeah. So it's great to see, you know, I'm, I'm one of these guys, I always want the Yorkshire teams to do well. And uh, I see he's a Sheffield United fan, like our uh, old uh, friend and colleague, uh, Marty Greenhorn. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's you know, I think you told me his, his caddy is a Leeds United fan it's yeah. quite often. Wearing a Leeds shirt under his, uh, under his top. Yeah, I think in the the last major before this one would have been the PGA Championship, and Fitzpatrick did well there. But I think he tweeted something before the final round. They were watching, or maybe it must be the Saturday. They were watching. Well, it was the Sunday that was the last game of the season. They were. They were watching the last Leeds game before they went out to practice to play the final there. <laughs> and, and Fitzpatrick said, "This better go well. I need I need Billy to be in good form this afternoon." So. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, uh, so they would have been rooting for Leeds to survive, which yeah. they thankfully did. I think Sheffield United just missed out on the promotion, didn't they? In the playoffs, yeah, but, I think Forest beat them in the playoff yeah, final. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it'd been good to see. I think you're right. Yeah, United there. So no, um, well done to to Matt Fitzpatrick, and uh, uh, the Open is coming up at St Andrews uh, in four or five weeks, and I, I suspect he would fancy his chances. Yeah, the good ball striker. I think he'll fancy his chances there as well. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was putting well, and also no, no great. Are you another part of ball game? Yeah, are you going up for that? Yeah, I've got tickets for a couple of the days, so I'll uh, I'll, I'll be up and I will report back. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go for the, the final weekend. You'll probably go the Thursday, Friday. Mm. You'll probably see more golf and enjoy it more in the, the TV maybe then, but I shouldn't say that too loud in case the, the RNA suddenly invite us along as, as international podcasters, but uh, <laughs> let's see how it goes. So, no, thanks for your your contributions tonight gents it's always good catching up on the world of baseball throwing a little bit of sport in there Uh, we hope you've all enjoyed listening folks and we'll catch up with you soon 